Hello and welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into opportunity. Please follow us on social media and rate the podcast as it helps others to find us. I hope you enjoy the show. The primary sector has been in the gun lately for its reluctance to resolve its emissions profile. You'd almost think there's some denial going on. Well, that might be true of some, but not of all. In 2021, a broad industry effort went into a primary sector strategy called Fit for a Better World. The strategy lays down the challenge to be sustainable, inclusive and profitable with specific targets for 2030 and beyond. I spoke to Jenny Cameron, the Chief Transformation Officer at MPI and the leader of the Fit for a Better World program. Well, Jenny Cameron, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Pleasure. Vincent, um, I listen to your podcast a lot, so very happy to be here. Thank you. Oh, well, that's slightly frightening, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I, I was talking to a friend who said that they travelled through France and listened to 90 episodes, which, uh, oh. I, I, you know, I, I just think it's one thing to actually put it out there. It's another thing for people to listen. It's quite frightening. Anyway, um, about Fit for a Better World, what's the problem you're trying to solve? The concept was started back in 2018, prior to COVID, with the understanding and acknowledgement that we needed to get New Zealand food and fibre as future fit uh, for uh, changing markets, changing customers, changing financial institutions, changing social licence, changing and the changing climate. So whatever may come that we are as resilient and adaptive um, as we need to be uh, for both weather patterns, but also the markets that we sell into. Mm. And the we is who? The we is government and industry. So the the concept was kicked off that it was to be a whole of sector um, analysis, but then also trying to align under a shared vision for our food and fibre sector, for New, for Aotearoa New Zealand, given how much a part of it is of our economic uh, success as a country, but also how critical food is for uh, New Zealand. And it's a big part as we're a trading nation and we have to um, make sure that we're constantly adapting and being relevant for the markets that we serve as well, mm. as well as our own. You talk about the three legs of this strategy, right? Do, do you call them the three-legged stool? And um, mm. so it's difficult having a two-legged stool. So what are the what are the three? Yes, yeah, so the the three, um, so the, the vision was set up through the Primary Sector Council, uh, and that was launched uh, by the Prime Minister in at Lincoln University in December 2019. Then uh, the intention was that it would be workshop through the country, and that's when COVID hit and did impact on really getting uh, right. out there and talking yeah. through it. And yeah. so a roadmap was launched in June 2020, and that was that was really the accelerating our economic potential and then the role of the food and fibre sector to help um, the COVID um, the COVID recovery. And the the three pillars of that still. Um, our productivity, inclusivity, and sustainability. And with really that target of um, how do we get sustainable growth uh, and up the value chain um, and diversification in markets and products, um, 
and targeting that additional uplift of um, $10 billion through the Fit for Better Work programs. So that's productivity. And then sustainability was how do we accelerate our transition to a low emissions sector, particularly around meeting our obligations under the Zero Carbon Act. And then uh, in terms of inclusivity, how do we do all of that and make sure that we are attracting and retaining the best people that will help us on that journey? So those yeah. the three legs of that stool super important that we're not if we focus on one at the expense of the other then we'll um we'll lose that balance and uh so it's um making sure we're aligning the vision and keeping all of those um aligned because through our work on sustainability i firmly believe that then that's how we will attract and retain uh, people who want to come and help on that challenge. And we're already seeing that in terms of some of the, the really smart, bright people that are in our sector already um, and, and also who will come and want to help um, in the challenges that we've got. And then through, if we're only focusing on productivity growth at the expense of our people and our environment, then that's that's not a recipe for success for the future. Right, hence the but three also, legs. Hence yeah. the three legs, yes. But also, yeah. if you're only focusing on sustainability and not running profitable businesses, then that's not going to be um, future fit either. Mm-hmm. So it's finding that sweet spot in between. So those targets that you've got there, you've got adding $44 billion in export earnings. Uh, these are all to sort of rough, roughly 2030 targets, right? So mm-hmm. it's $44 billion in extra in, uh, in export earnings. What is it now? It's so the SOPI that came out in uh, June it was fifty-two billion. What's a SOPI when it's a time? Oh, sorry, yes. <laughs> situation and outlook, situation and outlook for the primary industry. So that's a regular economic analysis and update that Ministry for Primary Industry does every six months, looking at um, how uh, everything's going across sectors, and and um, a really deep dive analysis. I was so distracted by thinking about what SOPI was. I didn't hear the number. So so what's the current number and how, how does 44 billion compare? Compare. So um, the 44 billion is cumulative additional. So what they worked, so when we started was looking at 2019 figures was 47 billion in terms of export revenue. Mm-hmm. Without Fit for a Better World, this is nominal, so inflation included. Without and without Fit for a Better World, the analysis, and this is all modelling, of course, um, was that we would get to 57 without Fit for a Better World. So the intention is to get to 67 billion, hmm. so an additional 10 billion uplift through the Fit for a Better World projects and initiatives that, that are being accelerated. Um, the analysis showed that we wouldn't really kick in with what Fit for Better World can deliver or is doing until 2023 because it takes a while for some of these things mm-hmm. to kick in and you've got your lag. Mm-hmm. But so one of the amazing things that's, that the, the food and fibre sector did was was content, actually continue to trade and do really well through COVID. So that um, through the supply chain constraints, both of inputs and our exports getting offshore, um, we're able to keep trading and trading really well through COVID. So we got to 52 billion. So we're aiming for 67 billion by 2030. By, by, 
2030. Great. We'll yeah. come to kind of what the levers are to make that happen. But let's just look at the other targets and sustainability. Um, you're very much in line with government policy here. I, I think 24 to 47% below um, 2017 levels in terms of emissions particularly around methane, right? So that's targeting methane by 2050 uh, and 10% below those 2017 levels by 2030. Uh, is that a correct summary of your sustainability objectives? And is it just solely focused on emissions reductions? So with that, that was the, the top line goal as such. But we're actually doing a bit of a refresh at the moment just to round out the total because, of course, our food and fibre sector isn't just on farm uh, and it's it's from everything from forestry to fisheries and everything and livestock as well. But in terms of the, the job to be done for New Zealand and the nut to crack, it is that methane nut to crack mm. for, for New Zealand. And also that's that's the opportunity out of this that if we can crack that with uh, – good farm, best farm practices and the knowledge that we've got, especially around pastoral farming systems and in terms of the IP that will be created, that then we can um, add that, um, bring that to the world. That's our that's our opportunity, not just solving it for New Zealand, but solving it for that global challenge around methane. Yeah. Because I think as, as other countries, as that, um, and of course the carbon dioxide challenge is, is the number one focus for, for everyone, but as that um, goes down. There, there is already more and more uh, focus on the agricultural emissions globally, um, mm. and I think that's where New Zealand's got an amazing leading part to play. And we're the first in the world to be really looking at this really seriously because it is a big part of our our profile, um, mm. given our given our makeup as a developed country, but with with a lot of agricultural. Um, uh, sectors. But uh, you're right, it's not just the on-farm. And so we're looking at methane, but of course we've got our nitrous oxide challenge as well. That is a long-lived gas, so it's got to get to net zero by 2050. Mm -hmm. um, then we've got our industrial heat. So there's a huge amount of activity happening uh, and big commitments by our major uh, processes in terms of decarbonising um, the, the, their, their processes. Um, so if, And that's and of course, there's the 2037 removal of um, coal-fired boilers. The number of coal-fired boilers mm -hmm, has got to be replaced. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing big, you know, lots of um, activity and um, certainly planned um, activity towards that goal too. Then, of course, our food and fibre sector, we are an exporting nation. And so that whole chain of how we get to our customer, um, be it by freight, um, shipping or um, or airline, we've got to factor that in too. And that's where the mm. Air New Zealand's commitments um, are really important for how our product is received by our consumers um, overseas. And even though for some of our products, it's a very small part of our footprint, the perception is that it's it's the food miles argument will, will not go away and that we've mm -hmm. got to be putting our best foot forward. And that's why actually that whole collaboration across our whole value chain is really important. And we're seeing some really awesome moves, you know, green shipping corridors. Maersk is, of course, a major um, 
uh, shipping supply, they're moving to low carbon options. So so that, that momentum will roll through as well. And, mm. and as we see that move for um, sustainable, say, aviation fuel or sustainable fuel, that then has a um, an opportunity in terms of our biomass and our forestry sector. So how all these things um, interlink. Um, and then uh, blue carbon, you know, we, we tend to focus on climate change just at our um, land mass, mm -hmm. but there's this whole opportunity in terms of the, the EZ, but also then the, the negative effects of, of and we've seen um, that come out recently in terms of the state of our oceans and how that is warming acidification. So the part we can play in, in our whole EEZ, both as a sink, but also mitigating the, um, the effects of climate change on that. Mm. And then um, uh, soil um, uh, in terms of health and um, how we uh, are making sure we've got healthy soils, of which our food and fibre sector heavily relies on. Um, and then adaptation, of course, because we often focus on mitigation, but we know our food and fibre sector is, is um, there's the problem, but um, we've got to be part of the solution. And given food and fibre is so much reliant on the weather and the outdoors, we are already seeing the impacts of climate change. And one thing is for sure, it's coming faster than anyone thought. So mm. um, even mitigating climate change is, is the ad adapting to the changing climate yeah. is a huge part of how we also mitigate and vice versa. Yeah, I mean, in fact, I was at the conference on um, the Oceania conference on Monday, and there was very much this uh, conversation about <coughs> agriculture and food production affecting the climate, but also being affected by the climate. And, uh, you know, hence the kind of all this discussion about the interrelatedness of what we're doing mm. just but we we're not going to have time to talk about the other two pillars the productivity and inclusivity although i'm super interested in how we're going to get product extra productivity and extra volume and value out of the business but unfortunately we'll do that another day because uh, that that's a super interesting conversation let's just double down on sustainability so how aggressive you you did you gave us a fantastic just summary of all the challenges that we face there from soil to uh, emissions to transport to industrial heat and then also as you say ad adapting to the new climate. Um, how aggressive, Jenny, can you be as a leadership group in driving this agenda? And uh, let's just uh, talk about Hawaka Ekanoa, which is on the table right now and has generated some very visceral response from even from federated farmers who participated in the process um how so the question is to to, to what extent are you going to wade into the micro around the management uh, of hawaka ekanoa because it would seem to me that that is that is the only tool on the table at the at the moment to drive us towards these goals that you've agreed to I probably just I would disagree that it's the only tool we've got, and I, th and that's where um, if we think of this is about change and behaviour change, and uh, so in the the classic models of how we how you change a system is you've got your regulatory tools, uh, you've got your economic 
tools, incentives or, or levies or both. Uh, you've got your social tools. Um, you've got your environment around and that social norming, and then you've got your technology as well. So with um, in that reset model of, of behaviour change, and I know there's there's a number of other ones, but that's where Hewaka is only one part of a whole mm. behaviour change program that's coming up. And um, with that, you've got, um, in terms of that, just knowledge and awareness, um, the work that's been going on in the sectors uh, in terms of just that first step of uh, awareness of your baseline and know this is the Know Your Numbers program. So across um, Dairying, um, Dairying Z led the Know Your Numbers campaign, which was mm -hmm. picked up by the um, by the um, our, our big dairy companies as well. So if, then having that knowledge of where you're sitting and then knowing, then, then the next step is know your options of what you can do to change and what's, what, you've got in your system that you might be able to adapt and then it's knowing and then having that ability to apply them which is when the advisory work comes in and testing and that um, understanding uh, through case studies and demonstration farms and all of that sort of build up of knowledge tools uh, learning from each other trialing is all coming in so that's where the other parts of Hewaka are so important too. So 100% of farmers will know their GHG by next year. That's coming mm -hmm. through and that's been rolled out across dairy, beef and lamb, port and uh, deer. Um, and what that's do they say? You, you, you can't manage what you can't measure. What can't measure, so, exactly. Yeah. So even that underlying work of... Uh, how do we measure it? So that that there was a whole lot of different metrics. There's a whole lot of different tools. Getting that aligned underneath with standards. So that that work's been carrying on, and there's been a huge amount of work in that space. Mm -hmm. So that and we're not that being. Um, sorry, I'm interrupting, no. but has that been adopted by all farmers? So um, because it's coming through their supplier, it has to be. Okay. So mm -hmm. that's where the whole chain is so important in terms of that collaboration. Mm -hmm. um, so they have to have that in their um, from the, in their farm plan, mm -hmm. and then um, and then of course then getting the tools of which um, uh, there. So there's best practice of which we know a number of farmers have some options just through applying good farming practice right now. So it's getting a really tight control on on budgets, on what inputs are. And of course, at the moment, with all the inflationary um, and supply chain constraints, it's even more important to, to really know that budget, really know how to apply things um, efficiently, of which a number, you know, there's some really best practice stuff happening. And then, um, and then looking at what is possible. And with all of this too, I think one of the challenges is, of course, um, how do we anchor ourselves in this in that in that leadership space? How do we anchor ourselves in that mindset of um, a low emissions farming system, rather than always thinking of what we're losing, and then anchoring in the past and thinking this is how I have to shift and change and what I'm losing versus mm. this mm. is actually where I need to get to, and this is where a lot of the businesses are now starting to really shift as their um, going, I need to get to a net zero world. How do I then move back from that and get to that space versus mm -hmm. 
what do I have to shift from here and what um, it, of course it's that part of the process but it's where you anchor yourself mm. um, so in terms of that acceleration yes and then this is where then the technology and the tools which is where um, say for example there's been a um, huge amount of investment and collaboration in the Whenua Haumana um, project, sorry, Haumanu project, um, regenerative agriculture. So, mm. so as we know, farmers learn best from other farmers and understanding how it works in practice and really practical ways of doing it. So um, getting 12 demonstration farms across the country, trialing different systems. And what's really cool about that one is it's, it's specific to the region and the region's issues. So as we all know, no region is the same in terms of it's um, going to have with the climatic issues. So it might be drought, it might be wet, it might be um, different productivity challenges or hills or different landscapes and soil structures. So really looking at the grass mixes for those areas. Uh, and then, the, of course, the recent joint venture, which is really accelerating and, and um, boosting a lot more the uh, research um, R&D money going in but most importantly it's the commercialization of that through to um, through to market because which joint venture is that oh, it's a joint yep. venture that's just been um, signed two weeks ago between the government so the government's matching money from five entities right now so that's uh, Naitahu, Ravensdown, Bonterra, Silverfern Farms, and I'll probably forget one. Um, sorry, I've forgotten. Anyway, um, five um, big companies. Sorry, will you That's edit right. that? <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Carry on. We, we, we believe um, you. Yeah. 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 And um, with the and um, more can come on board as we go, but really it's um, bringing that strong investment coming in and really doubling down and wanting to create a center of excellence around agricultural emissions reduction. Right. Uh, so how do we attract the best and brightest to solve this challenge? And then not and then that we're really turbocharging the amount of R and D that could go into it and then commercialize it. Because hmm. one of the one of the topics of conversation that's been going around is We've got a lot of R&D, it's the commercialization of it and then the adoption of it that's often the, the challenge out to market. Mm. Your, um, your, your title is Chief Transformation Officer. How, how impatient do you get with the speed of transformation? Um, you know, Because it, all the changes you're talking about are quite incremental, aren't they? They're working from the inside of the system. You must wake up some mornings and think, gosh, I wish that there were some challenges to really upset us and move us forward. I, um, through my experience in other sectors, um, I've worked in electricity and other, I, I, I'm a strong believer in the J-curve as well. I think that whilst it might feel slow and incremental, um, we've got to do this bringing the people, uh, bringing our, our farmers and our food producers uh, with us. And through the focus and effort that's now really going into this, because if the conversation around all of this is has accelerated in itself over the over just the last three four years, mm -hmm. and then now with this really strong focus, we're getting the awareness of that baseline. So 
maybe it's bursting the bogeyman in terms of does every farmer have to change a lot? Actually, we don't know that. And actually, there's a, a ton of really good work happening. Now we're getting the data and the tools so that people can actually measure what they're doing. They can understand what they have to change or not, what's working in their system, what's not, trialing that. And as that build up and we've got the agri-tech agri sector coming on board with a lot more tools coming in and we're seeing that from, from your Oceania Summit, like there's a lot more focus. The signals are now a lot stronger for our food and fibre sector as well, which I think is a really critical point that it's not just um, government saying this. In mm. fact, governments, it might feel like the regulations um, and there's a, there's a, there is a lot of stuff happening, and I can completely um, acknowledge that. But actually, when we look at the signals coming from the financial sector, the um, carbon-related disclosures that are required now, that's in law, with and New Zealand's being a world first in that, um, our big companies are needing to go to scope three emissions reporting so that's that's you know, Fonterra, Silverfern Farms, Esprit they're all having to to go down mm. to that level so then mm. they need to acknowledge they need to be working out how they're doing their scope three emissions um, our banking sector with sustainability linked loans is coming in with um, trying to provide those incentives our insurance sector is now moving so farmers are getting and and if, uh, getting those signals from from all parts of the ecosystem around mm -hmm. But also, really importantly, what, what's been fascinating for me, Vincent, is seeing how this is not a G to G, a government to government sort of world, this climate change stuff. It's the B to B, it's the business to business conversations and are now driving that. It's the bank to the companies, the bank to the customer, hmm. and it's the, the big customers. It's the Unilevers, the Nestle's, the Mars, the Tesco's, the Waitrose's, the Marks and Spencer's. They're driving that um, uh, conversation, or not just conversation. They're now driving the, the wanting, the provenance, the data, the the credibility and authenticity of action, all the way down the value chain on on sustainability and on regenerative as well, which is interesting. Mm. And that's um, and that's uh, so us being able to prove what we do, what our goals are. And and we we are up there like we are at the front of a of that climate change race, and it's a really good place to be at. But we have to stay there because our competitors are moving fast too, and and it's a, a race we want to stay stay at the front of because it's important because climate is hitting us, um, and we have to adapt to it. But also, it's important for us to maintain our our position in the market, and it's important for the world. So much of uh climate policy has been around compliance and around obligation it's a reasonably negative space in that you know the, the news is often bad <laughs> the actions around change are often um uh uncomfortable you know it's a it's an inconvenience um paint us a picture of what could be <laughs> Because the future that you've articulated in the Fit for a Better World is quite positive and quite exciting. Um, so what is that 2010, uh, sorry, 2010, we're going backwards, 2030, 2035, you know, what does that 
industry look like if you were successful in making these changes? With the, yeah, good question. I think that with the opportunity that comes, I then that we are, we've got that confidence that what we're doing is making is making the right changes. And New Zealand can talk we can talk with confidence and credibility that we are the most sustainable and ethical high nutrition, high quality food and fibre sector that isn't just providing products but is good for the world as well as for, for our own people. And that's where the compliance um, conversation is really interesting because whilst there's the um, there's that angle to it in terms of the regulatory um, and just reporting side of it to for regulatory commitments. If we only look at it from that lens, we're losing the other half of the opportunity, which is that provenance story. And we're seeing that come through so much from customers, both with a big C and a small C, of of wanting that um, wanting to know that you tell the truth and. Some of the recent reflections in terms of the the, the new generation of customer, um, our, the, the rangatahi and the youth want, they, they don't want, excuse the language, but they're, they're big, they don't want the bullshit and that's going to get called out very fast. And so you've got to be able to prove it. Uh, mm. And that's where the data and the collection points um, is so, so important. And that, that brings me to a point with... Um, Fit for a Better World has these big goals and um, there's some really exciting work happening and really important work in time, trying to coalesce the amount of activity that's happening. And I think for New Zealand is a small place, um, but we do a, there's a lot going on and actually trying to pull it together a bit more. Um, and that's some of the, the insights that's coming through is um, we can be better at working together and better at collaborating and supporting mm. each other. So there's been um, there's big industry transformation plans that are underway um, in the food and, food and beverage industry transformation plan, fisheries industry transformation plan, forestry. There's a big hort action plan. So all of these things underpin how we're going to get to the fit for better world goals. Mm. But under that, um, what I'm what I'm really trying to focus on too is uh, what I'm calling the base enablers or enablers of um, digital connectivity, data interoperability, um, some of the regulatory um, barriers or improvements that could be done, market access, that some of those things are where I really want to lean into because I think that those are, those are some of the things that we've got to crack to enable the transformation because mm. it's about... Um, one of the taglines I like with Fit for a Better World is it's government enabled, business and community driven and vision led. Hmm. So the people that will do this is not the government, it's our businesses and communities out there who will do the mahi on the ground and will find the innovation and will find the opportunity. 
what uh, government and industry together um, can play a part in trying to reach those goals. But if we don't crack some of those things of getting um, that digital connection so that we can get pre precision water mm -hmm. metering and precision sensors and we can get good um, uh, good connectivity so that we can attract and keep people on farm and we can use the smart banking tools. Um, so we need that. Data interoperability, so just getting back, so we do have a point, uh, getting back to your point on the on the, um, on the the uh, compliance side of things, actually the frustration from the farmers and producers on the ground that you have to enter the same data 10 times over Multiple to different times. places. Yeah, yeah. So we've yeah. got to, and that's where I really, so important to listen to what the people on the ground are telling us they need to get their own to get to get the vision happening mm -hmm. so that's where we've got a we've, there's a real opportunity around that too i think that there's a, even a deeper level which is kind of at the top of your strategy around incorporating or actually fundamentally assuming that we live in an integrated world and this coming from a um from a te Māori point of view, that this integration of humans, whenua, um, sky, water. Um, so it's very encouraging to see the strategy really rooted in a Tateo kind of worldview, isn't it? That the place we want to get to is this regenerative future where the very act of farming actually improves the natural environment. At, we're not beating our children a little less. You know, that's not our strategy anymore. Actually, we want the very act of being to enhance our natural world. Mm. Absolutely. And that's that um, in in the essence of um, that we are leaving the land better than we found it, mm. which a number of farmers and producers are doing that already. Um and it's really just embodying that that that's um, that mindset of we are part of nature, we rely on nature, um, and we've got to ensure that we are supporting nature so that we are supporting. I mean, ultimately, that ends up being very um, selfish, and we're supporting ourselves through doing that. Um, which uh, that was a great quote from. Um, Claire Bradley of Agrisi said, ultimately, we're not trying to save nature, we're trying to save ourselves. Hmm. Uh, nature will get on fine without humans, but humans won't get on fine without nature. So, it, and I do feel like that is, um, that's that's one of those shifts that's really starting to happen a lot more. And um, if we look after land, then the land will look after us, particularly for generations to come. Hmm. Uh, Jenny Cameron, I'd love to keep talking, but you've got a job to do, and apparently I do too. So um, we better wrap it up there. Fit for a Better World is on is easy to find online, um, and you do regular reporting, right? You milestone where you are on this journey, so it's more than just a kind of uh, strategy that sits in the bottom drawer. Absolutely. So um, I'm very conscious of that. Strategies are great, but it's about the implementation and consistent. Yeah. And having them for the long term, because this stuff is, you know, farming works on seasons. It doesn't happen overnight. And we've got mm. to keep that focus and that um, energy on it. And it's a really important task. So, yes, we do annual uh, progress reports. I've, we have a monthly newsletter. 
Um, so if anyone's interested, please sign up, um, go to our website, sign up and um, any feedback, always welcome and very happy to come out and talk to people about what we're doing. We're, um, this is everyone, this is a vision. Um, we've got our North Star, we know where we want to get to and and we want every we need everyone to be on um, on board where it's going to take everyone to get there mm, great well it's lovely talking to you thanks for coming on the show thank you vincent for having me kia ora this climate business the podcast about turning the climate crisis into opportunity please follow us on social media and rate the podcast as it helps others to find us 